Uh, tonight's reading is from the book of Colossians, uh, chapter 2, verses 6 to 19. Freedom from human regulations through life with Christ. This can be found on page 1183. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised, in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not eat, let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that are to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, PJ. Good evening, everyone. Uh, let's pray together. Father, we all join together this evening in giving you our grateful thanks for the greatness of your love and the generosity of your grace towards us in all that you have given us in Christ. And we pray this evening you will help us to lay hold of it more securely and more firmly for uh, the blessing and the healing of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In uh, preparing uh, this talk for this evening, I came across uh, this potent little quotation from Tim Keller. Tim Keller is an American uh, Christian writer whose, whose books we've used a lot at St. Saviour's. We're very familiar with him and, uh, and his writing. Um, he said this, the most dangerous things are the things we say about ourselves to ourselves. And I think in, in that 
well-crafted phrase, he puts his finger on something we're all very familiar with. We are familiar with the way we speak to ourselves about who we really are. It's different to how we present ourselves to others. It's different to what we say to others about ourselves. It's different to what others may say to us. Quite apart from that, we have an inner dialogue going on within ourselves and there is a narrative to it. There is a character to it. It has a shape. We say to ourselves, um, we, we give ourselves a certain message about ourselves. And often that message is considerably more negative and damaging than the image we present to the world or indeed how the world views us. It comes from all kinds of sources. It comes from our childhood. It comes from the message our parents gave us. It comes from the message our schooling gave us. It comes from our own experiences in life, our successes, our failures. It comes from a number of different sources, but it's really quite deeply entrenched. And we can't help ourselves telling ourselves that story over and over again. And you probably know what it is. You probably know what your story is, what it is you tell yourself uh, about yourself. I think it's a universal human characteristic. The whole self-help industry uh, which we see around us, I think, is testimony to the fact that uh, right across the human race, particularly in the Western world, we're struggling to address that. We're struggling to find ways to break that chain, break the, uh, the, the power of that, uh, that storytelling that we do for ourselves. Um, if you uh, go onto Amazon and just simply put in the phrase self-help books, apparently uh, there will be 300,000 responses. The, it is an industry. It is a phenomenon. You've only got to go to Waterstones or some other shop, and the shelves are, are long and, and heavily laden with books uh, addressing uh, our inner dialogue with ourselves, what we believe about ourselves, uh, the things we repeat to ourselves, the things which limit and constrict, uh, and constrict us. Uh, these books have many various and wonderful names. Uh, I came across this one this past week. It's, the book is called Mindset, How Positive Thinking Will Set You Free and Help You Achieve Massive Success in Life. And that's one I really want. I could do with a little more massive success in, in my life. Um, there's one for women entitled Women Who Think Too Much, How to Break Free of Everything. That's, uh, um, I mean, th these books seriously promise things, and um, we should probably uh, pay close attention to them. My favourite one is, is this one. I, I came across it in the bookshelf, on the bookshelves of Waterstones here some years ago, and I notice uh, that it's still on sale. Now, whether that is um, the successor to the book I saw years ago or whether it's the very same book, I'm not sure. So I'm not sure whether it's sold multiple copies or whether it has never sold. But when you hear the title, you may suspect it perhaps never sold. Uh, the title is Self-Esteem for Dummies. Um, uh, it doesn't exactly commend itself to you, do, uh, does it, Jim? 
you wouldn't go for that one. Um, so it's an industry. It's easy to uh, laugh about it. Uh, it's easy to make jokes. Um, in fact, I, I have no intention of, of doing that, really. Um, I think often there are things, wise things to be learnt. I've, over the years, used, read a number of books that address sort of self-help issues and fa found them helpful. So I'm not, not here to um, diss the whole lot. But uh, I think it's a really marked phenomenon of our generation and our age, and I think it's one we recognise within ourselves, the potent power and often the destructive power of the narratives that we have developed over many years and which we continue to tell ourselves and from which we really struggle to get free. As part of my research for this sermon, I undertook a self-esteem test on the internet. I scored 59. It didn't tell me out of what total I had scored 59. That might have damaged my self-esteem. Um, <laughs> but it did, however, tell me this about myself. You have quite good self-esteem on the whole. But you sometimes fail to believe in yourself enough. Remember, you are a special and unique person. Many people with your score feel confident in what they do for a living and get a lot of affirmation from that. I thought that was a, a good pointer. I enjoyed that one. It is important, however, to feel good about who you are and not just what you do. Have a think about this. This test cannot replace consultation with a doctor. <laughs> I love that. The question that's been going around my mind this week is, is this, really. What draws us to church? What draws us to this fellowship, this community? What is it about for us? Is it a search for a superior form of self-help therapy? Are we looking for an experience, a framework in which we will feel better about ourselves? What is... What is this about for you? What drives me in my Christian living and Christian search? Because actually, what we do here can go in a number of different directions. Faith in Jesus can actually make you feel worse as you face uncomfortable realities about yourself as you face how radical the change needed within you might be. Faith in Jesus can totally disrupt your life. It can wreck the plans you have for the future. It can seriously affect your standard of living. And it can seriously affect your lifestyle. Be warned. The Christian faith is not really about self-help, self-improvement, self-esteem, and self-promotion. What is it about them? I think Paul would say this to us. He would say, using sort of 20th century categories, 21st century categories, he would say, actually, that spectrum, that continuum from low self-esteem to high self-esteem, 
that's a line you have to get off. There is really no future in addressing that spectrum. You might crawl a few inches along it, you might not. But you need to address the internal narrative. You need to address the story that you have learned to tell yourself about yourself for many long years. And he would say, in contrast, you need to get off that spectrum and you need to take your stand in a different place altogether. And Paul would say, that place is what he calls being in Christ. And that's a totally different kind of narrative. It's a totally different kind of position. And it actually begins the process of freeing you from that endless internal dialogue about your worth, your progress, your failure, your success, your continual debate with yourself as to whether, uh, uh, how much you are worth. He uses that phrase, actually, in his letters 164 times. Comes in our, the passage we read this evening five or six times. And it's just core, it's just central to his understanding of the transforming impact of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And just for very few moments, I just want to unpack that a little bit for us. And we'll just use the first verse of, of our passage, which reads like this. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. That's the basic uh, message of the, of the whole uh, letter, and it's uh, a key summary of what the, the, the very heart and nature of Christian living is about. And I just want to unpack it. First of all, this idea of being in Christ, why is that such a potent idea? Why is that so powerful? Why is that so significant? It's the simplest of phrases. Uh, it, we probably read over it without even noticing it particularly. What's so potent about it for Paul? Well, in this uh, second chapter, and even more clearly in the first chapter, he speaks about Christ in, in these kind of terms. For in Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead lives in bodily form. In chapter 1, uh, he said words which have the same uh, importance, really. He is the image of the invisible God. Paul is saying this, and this is a remarkable thing to say. He was saying in this man, Jesus Christ, in this human being who, as he was writing, died, was crucified, and was raised from the dead within very few years. He's writing about it very, very close after that time. Everything that can be known about God is present. The fullness of God is in this human life. And then he says, listen to this, this is truly extraordinary. You have been given fullness in Christ. 
So he's saying, in Christ, all the fullness of God dwells, and you have been given the fullness that is in Christ. Now let's just sort of stand back from that a moment and allow it to sort of address us, speak to us a little bit. This is the extraordinary claim of the gospel. It is the extraordinary offer of Christianity, and it takes us way beyond this obsession of our age with self-esteem, self-respect, and the internal narrative that we, uh, the, the destructive narrative that we tell ourselves. It takes us way beyond that. Paul is saying, you, if you are in Christ, and we'll come in a moment to how that happens, if you are in Christ, you begin to share in the fullness that Christ had of God himself. You begin to be in the orbit of God himself. You begin to live within the life of God. You begin to share in that. The fullness that, that Christ had, you also participate in it. That is what it means to be in Christ. We perhaps, finding that rather overwhelming to get our heads round, prefer the language of Christ in us. And the New Testament uses that kind of language. Uh, Paul talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's a New Testament term. But far more common is this kind of language, that we are in Christ. And the crucial thing about that is that it places us in the life of God himself. That is the staggering narrative that we need to get our, we can hardly get our heads around it, but we need to get, get faith and action around it. How do we get there? Paul says something here that's rather striking. He says, by faith and baptism, you enter into, into that. This introduces us to an understanding of baptism that's not uh, well embedded in, in, uh, in modern Christianity, really. But he's saying that action by which you pass into the water, you are buried in the water, and you come out is a decisive moment in your life. It's the decisive moment where uh, you make that transition from the old life burdened by the narrative of destruction to the new life, which is a life lived uh, in, in God, in Christ, in this whole new reality. In faith and in baptism, you begin to enter into this, this new life. Baptism in, in our modern language is a, is a sacrament in the sense that it is not simply symbolic, it is not simply uh, an act expressing our own desire to be committed to Christ, it is an act of God for us. And that when we are baptized, it is actually God's gracious act to convey us into the kingdom of his son, into the life of his son, and into the life of God. We are in Christ. Martin Luther um, once said that when he felt uh, defeated, when he felt overthrown by the assaults of the devil, as he put it, when he felt condemned by his own failure and sinfulness, he said to himself, I am baptized. Why? Because that was the act of God 
for him. It demonstrated that moment uh, that, uh, of transition into, into God's kingdom. Now, baptism itself is not a magical act that does anything by the um, physical action of, of immersing someone in water. But when it is an act of the Christian community, and when it is done in faith, and when it is done in, before God, it is an enormously important and significant moment. It prevents us ever again saying, I wonder if I really believe. I wonder if I really belong. I wonder if God really loves me. I wonder if I'm really in Christ. Because we can always go back to that moment and say, that is the moment where God uh, demonstrated to me what has been true since time began, that I am loved, that, I, uh, that his desire is for me, and that in Christ uh, he gave himself for me. I have died to the old life, and I am rising to the new life. So I encourage you to reflect on that. I think, uh, in a sense, the, the Christian journey is not complete. The Christian journey has not fully been commissioned, as it were, uh, until uh, we have been baptized. And if you are waiting for some time when you might feel, I'm more ready, I'm more committed, I'm, uh, I'm ready for this step, I would ask you to really think, really regard it as something that God does for us and establishes us in his presence before him in Christ, uh, learning to live the life that, that Christ gives us. Um, in, enough on, on that, I think. So I've, Paul, is, Paul is saying this is the way to break out of that negative narrative. It's to find your true place, your true place as a disciple of Jesus in Christ uh, through faith and baptism. And what is, you are then in, an inheritor of all that God has for you. The fullness that God has in Christ is available for you. You may not yet be able to discern it. You may not yet be able to make it your own and understand it and live it out. But it's already yours. And the Christian life then is a matter of, as he says in this verse, being rooted, built up, and strengthened. Uh, rooted, we might think of as putting uh, our roots down into the truth and grace of God. Being built up is about constructing uh, our lives on that basis, on that uh, on, on those uh, fundamentals, and strengthening is about our, our inner life. Keep growing, keep deepening as you were taught. And the final phrase in this verse is overflowing with gratitude. Gratitude is appropriate because this is all a work of God's grace. It is all a work of, of gift. It is all a work of his generosity. The Christian life is not about uh, our endlessly seeking to, to reach God's standards and to be acceptable to him. The clue is that we were accepted before we were acceptable. That is the whole nature of, of the Christian experience. And it is his gift and his generosity that takes us from our uh, separated, fragmented lives, our lives living by uh, destructive and distorted narratives, and placing us in a new place uh, finding our new identity uh, in Christ and in that way reconciled to and, and living a life in relationship to God. Therefore, a life of gratitude, overflowing gratitude is 
appropriate. It's the response. And Paul's phrase here is overflowing with gratitude, overflowing with thankfulness. So we'll finish there tonight because we're going to move on to communion now. And communion expresses all this. Communion just demonstrates it all. Communion invites us to once again uh, own it and make it our own and live within it. So I invite you, as we, I conclude this reflection, to say to yourself, my new narrative, the narrative which controls my life, is I am in Christ. That's where I stand. I am not struggling to move along this spectrum from low self-esteem to higher self-esteem. It doesn't matter whether my score is 59 or any other figure. That really is a total irrelevance. The key thing about my life is whatever my experience, however broken my experience of life might be, I am in Christ. I am forgiven. I was accepted before I was acceptable. I was loved from the foundation of the world. My old self died with Christ. I rose with Christ to a new life. There is, now, there is more for me now to know, but it is all mine. I am in Christ.